This episode is brought to you by Hay. As you already know, I'm all about creating a calm, focused work environment. And Hay, a nifty new product from the friendly team at Basecamp, brings that ethos to email. Basically, Hay gives control of your inbox back to you. Don't ever want to hear from a sender again? They're gone. Want to make a separate stack of messages to reply to later? You can. Want to retroactively change an inane subject line to something useful? They've got you. Plus, a host of features you didn't know you wanted, but will instantly become essential. Visit hey.com now to start a free 14-day trial and experience email's new heyday. Once again, that's hey.com for a free 14-day trial. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about pacing yourself, where I explore how you can find more calm, comfort, and clarity through the simple act of slowing down. Today, I am in what is a rather rare state for me. I'm tired, or to use a better word, depleted. And that's what I want to talk about today, to do a sort of energetic state of the union six months into this pandemic, because I think we're all feeling it, a strange sort of ineffable sense of energetic drag, like you snagged your enthusiasm on something about six months back, and as you slowly walked onwards deeper into this landscape of uncertainty, it's been slowly unraveling. Where did it go? Let me give you an example of my current state of mind. I had tons of ideas for things I might want to talk about in today's episode. The idea of linear versus circular time and how that relates to developing a more organic creative process or how the pandemic is causing us to reconsider our consumerism and our focus on productivity. I even considered a John Cage four minutes and 33 seconds style podcast where I wouldn't talk, but instead would simply hold space for you to have your own ideas rather than listening to mine. And yet I felt a strange apathy about writing about every single one of these topics, even though technically I have a lot to say about them. Apathy is not a common emotion or rather non-emotion for me to have but it's been hanging around in my psyche for the past few weeks, and I've been wondering about its origins. One thing I do know from past experience is that if I'm feeling apathetic, it's usually because I'm depleted and need to recuperate. It's as if my body doesn't have enough energy left to generate any powerful emotions. But why is this happening now, six months into the pandemic, rather than at the beginning? Recently, I stumbled on an article by a science journalist named Tara Hayel, entitled Your Surge Capacity is Depleted and It's Why You Feel Awful, which I'll link to in the show notes. In the piece, she talks about how we all have a certain amount of surge capacity, which allows us to respond well in short-term, high-stress situations, like natural disasters. She describes herself as the type of person who generally thrives in high-stress situations, who likes the opportunity to keep it together and be resourceful and be of service in times of crisis. And it turned out that when COVID hit, she had already been writing about infectious diseases for over a decade. She was poised to help people make sense of this unprecedented situation. 
So when this all started back in March, she started cranking out stories, sharing epidemiological information with her networks, and generally doing everything she could to help people navigate the crisis. Now, I am certainly not a science journalist with reporting experience that maps neatly onto our current global situation. But in my own way, I too felt poised to respond this past spring. I had an idea for a three-month-long course called Hi-Fi that would harness this period of isolation to help people journey deeper into themselves, to build self-awareness, and reconnect with their intuition, while at the same time, hopefully, creating a supportive community when we were all feeling so alone. And I made it happen, and it felt good, like I was able to meet the moment and create a sense of meaning for myself and others during a difficult time. But our surge capacity isn't infinite, not yours and not mine. As the author of the article I just mentioned goes on to describe, a crash was inevitable. And when it came, as she knew it would, it was more severe and lasted much longer than she expected. She describes it as a strange form of, quote, anxiety-tainted depression mixed with ennui, end quote, that she just couldn't kick. I can relate. Surge capacity is meant to sustain us in short-term moments of high stress. But we are far beyond the short-term now. We're six months into the pandemic and more than three months into ongoing protests and civil unrest. The future has never been more uncertain. And I don't think any of us are in doubt of that. We feel it keenly. A subtle hiss of white noise anxiety that trails us through our days and wakes us up in the middle of the night. I don't know about you, but I have never slept more poorly than I have these past few months. I snack on a few CBD gummies before bed every night, but I can't say that I think they're really helping. I think we all want to meet this moment. We want to find ways to serve. But what does that look like six months in? What does resilience look like once our surge capacity is depleted? I think it looks a lot like tenderness, learning to be really compassionate and gentle with ourselves about what we are capable of right now. That's not to say we should give up or not fight the good fight. We all have our obligations and our callings and our passions to pursue, even now amidst this uncertainty. What it means is to recognize that there are limits to how much we can do in a day, and that maybe those limits are a little shorter, a little less, than what they might have been under normal circumstances. And we have to accept that. I once read that one of the qualities of people who are resilient is that they accept reality, which seems almost funny because it's so obvious. But accepting reality isn't easy right now. And part of the reality that we need to accept is that we are under a massive amount of psychic, financial, political, and social pressure right now. And just wading through all of the emotions and challenges that that brings up takes a lot of energy, which means that we just have less energy, less bandwidth than we normally would to accomplish the things that we need to do. But rather than getting frustrated with our performance because we're operating more slowly or feeling more scattered or dispirited, Rather than getting frustrated with ourselves, I think we should try to see ourselves with more compassion. 
to look at the larger context and treat ourselves tenderly. To acknowledge that, yes, we may have had an initial surge of energy to respond to this crisis, but that we can't operate at those levels for forever. At some point, we have to come back to Earth, back into our bodies, and rebuild our energy reserves. And in some ways, this recognition is no surprise. The pandemic has magnified so many pre-existing conditions, taking things that the dominant culture swept under the rug and didn't want to see or acknowledge and putting them center stage. Big issues like economic inequality and social justice, as well as smaller issues like our addictions to convenience and consumerism and productivity. And I want to speak now to our productivity addiction, an addiction that even before the pandemic was already leading to increasing levels of burnout. There's no denying that we live in a culture that's obsessed with productivity, a culture fixated on growth and progress and speed and efficiency and scale. We are taught that in order to justify our existence, we must produce things and consume things. We must constantly move forward, acquire more stuff, and improve ourselves. It's all about striving. But what happens when the world stops, as it did in March and April? What happens when our deeply ingrained productive impulse is stymied? What happens when doing is not the thing to do? My favorite headline of that time in early spring was from the satirical publication, The Onion. It read, Man not sure why he thought most psychologically taxing situation of his life would be the thing to make him productive. It was funny, but also poignant, because that was the immediate impulse that so many of us had. When the world stopped, when we were stripped of our usual routines and responsibilities, our immediate thought was, How can I use this time to be productive? How can I dive into that creative project that I set aside? How can I use this pause to ask even more from myself, to continue to improve and excel? But as that Onion article sadly pointed out, to do this was to ignore everything about the reality of the situation. The reality of the grief we were feeling, the reality of the fear we were feeling, the reality of the constriction we were feeling, the reality of the deeply unsettled feeling of dread that was permeating our embodied experience every minute of every day. Our natural impulse was to ignore everything about the reality of the situation. But that's not resilience. That's not recognizing reality. To ignore the emotional signals of your body and to try to be even more productive in the face of a grievously challenging situation. That's like voluntarily putting yourself on a rocket ship to burnout. So I think this pandemic is also an opportunity to re-examine our attitudes towards productivity. We can take advantage of the magnifying powers of this moment to see the toxicity of some of our standard habits and routines and perhaps begin to replace them with a more tender, humane approach to work. If you, like me, are finding yourself arriving at a moment where your surge capacity is, indeed, fully 
depleted. This is the perfect time to rebalance how much time you're putting into work and how much time you're putting into renewal. And perhaps, maybe, hopefully, even re-envisioning your work itself as a process that unfolds from a place of tenderness and trust, rather than from an insistent, driving, ambitious need to achieve. Let me give you a few examples of the types of shifts that can move us from a toxic addiction to productivity into an attitude of what I call tender discipline, a concept I first talked about in season two of this podcast in an episode entitled, Who Are You Without the Doing? The first is tuning into your inner voice. Start to listen to your inner dialogue and notice how you motivate yourself throughout the day. Do you spend a lot of time encouraging yourself or cheering yourself on? Or do you find that you spend most of your energy on berating yourself or imagining worst case scenarios? Do you say things like, don't be a baby or you're so lazy when you're not feeling motivated to do something or maybe in need of a break? Do you constantly say, I should do this or I have to do this rather than I want to do this as you move through your to-do list? and talk to yourself? And if the internal dialogue you notice is harsh, and I suspect that it might be, reflect on how you might begin to shift it. How could you be kinder, more compassionate, more tender with yourself as you move through your workday? This doesn't mean not doing the work. It just means reframing how you talk to yourself about the work. The second is to consider how you might engage in regular embodied rituals. This can be anything that grounds you, centers you, or brings you back into your body in the present moment. Meditation, exercise, long walks, breath work, or prayer are a few examples. How are you connecting to your body on a daily basis? Part of how we fall into burnout is by completely disconnecting from our bodies, by living only in our heads, only through our screens. And so when our body issues a warning signal, you've gone too far, you need to rest, this doesn't feel right, we don't hear it. Taking even just 10 or 15 minutes a day to spend on rituals that bring you back into your body can help reduce your anxiety and bring you into a more heightened awareness about how to care for and be tender with yourself. Because once you are in your body, you have access to its wisdom. You have access to its signals. Something that you don't hear if you live in a disassociated, screen-bound state. And finally, the third idea for shifting out of our productivity addiction and into tender discipline is allowing yourself to work in a more organic way one that is attuned to the natural rhythms of your body. Our bodies follow a natural circadian rhythm which determines our energy peaks and dips throughout the day. But because we so frequently disassociate from the body, we've forgotten about this powerful tool that we can tap into. Most of us organize our day around what technology tells us is important. Emails, chat messages, meetings, but that's often deeply misaligned with our circadian rhythms. 
For instance, most people experience their primary period of peak cognitive focus during the mid to late morning, a time often dedicated to email or check-in meetings, some of the least mentally taxing activities that we do at work. Especially now, as many more of us are working from home, there's more opportunity to experiment with your workflow. When do you feel like you have the most energy and focus during your day? When are you the most tired and low energy? And how can you tweak your workflow to better align with these natural rhythms? Leaning into this type of energetic awareness, where you're working with rather than against your body, is a simple way to lighten your load as you move through your workday. Our ability to be resilient depends upon our ability to accept reality. And the reality of this moment is that we need to pace ourselves. We need to be tender with ourselves. And we need to reassess our commitment to productivity. And even I would say to the idea of being busy. We used to say being busy is good, but it was always followed by a question, wasn't it? The common exchange would be, how are you? Good, busy, but busy is good, right? There was always that question at the end, as if whoever was saying it knew deep down that maybe it wasn't so good, but was looking to you or society for some external confirmation that their frenzied schedule was a good thing. But I'm not so sure busy is good. And 2020 seems like a resounding confirmation of that. Everything we were too busy to notice or too busy to tend to or too busy to fight for is coming home to roost. Busy didn't seem to work out so well for us. So maybe this time we should try being tender. Before I sign off for this episode, a quick note that after I get a little rest in September, I'll be relaunching my online course, Reset, a cosmic tune-up for your workday in early October. If you're not already familiar with Reset, it's a four-week program that will show you how to work in a way that's intentional, energizing, and inspiring. As so many of you transition to working from home and gain a bit more autonomy over your schedules, it's the perfect time to recalibrate your workflow and invite more creativity and meaning back into your daily routine. And Reset will show you how. It's all about shifting from a speed-obsessed way of working, which inevitably leads to burnout, to a more sustainable, heart-centered way of working. Reset shows you how to align your workflow with the natural energetic rhythms of your body, how to set boundaries and say no with technology, and how to adapt your media diet and work habits to make room for more creativity. To learn more about the course or get on the list to register, visit reset-course.com. Once again, that's reset-course.com for more information on my four-week course on heart-centered productivity. As always, thanks to Matt Susich for producing this episode and to Devin Craig Johnson for our theme music and additional audio fine-tuning. Thanks to you for listening, and remember to take your time. Thank you.